Hi, everybody, and welcome to episode 13 of Maybe Next Year. I'm your host, Corey Foss. Tonight, I'm joined by uh, Dave Skogan and Shay Connett. Uh, thanks for joining me, guys. Glad to be here, Corey. A um, couple intro stuff uh, here as we get settled. Uh, places to check us out. Um, if you have access to uh, Apple Podcasts, uh, Anchor is where we go up right away, and then also on Spotify. Those are kind of the three main sites. Uh, you can catch up uh, there with all of our first 12 episodes. And then also, uh, we encourage you to check out our new website, nextyearpodcast.com. Uh, a lot of cool things are there at the website. Uh, you can uh, read up a little bit about us, about the actual show. Uh, you can uh, check out some information on all the guests that we have here. And also, there's a, a, a cool thing there where you can uh, click on the content contact button in the upper right hand corner and send us an email with any questions or thoughts uh, that you have and if you have any topics that you'd like to hear us discuss um over the you know future shows uh we encourage you to do that we definitely love to hear from you out there um our our website was put together by a uh, a pretty cool company called minnesota nice marketing a little bit about them uh, a quick shout out for them um, in today's website world, website credibility judgments are 75% based on overall aesthetics, which means the design and functionality of your websites are more important than ever. First impressions are 94% design related. This is where Minnesota Nice Marketing comes into the picture. Minnesota Nice Marketing exists, exists to help small businesses create a collaborative web and mobile page that is easy to understand, affordable, and helps you to be found online. Visit minnesotanicemarketing.com to get your free quote for your new web page or web redesign. And remember, 85% of adults think that a company's mobile website should be as good or better than their desktop website. So please go ahead and check those folks out um, at minnesotanicemarketing.com, or you can go to the bottom of our web page and click on their link and get a hold of them that way as well. Uh, for tonight's show, we got a couple different things that we're going to uh, catch up on. Uh, the first section here, I think we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the Timberwolves and some NBA news. Uh, Shea here is a big uh, Timberwolves fan. I know we've talked a little bit more about them the last few weeks, just uh, based on all the things that have happened since the trade deadline. Um, and I'll kind of ask you guys what your what your thoughts have been as you've uh, checked them out here their last few games. They had the, the All-Star game recently, but they came back, played Boston a couple nights ago, um, and then uh, tonight they're actually playing uh, in Denver. So... Um, some of the players that we've, you know, we've seen, they made it obviously moved a lot of different names around. Um, the ones that have really kind of stood out, I think, or at least have had the biggest role so far, Malik Be uh, Beasley, um, Juan Hernan Gomez, uh, D'Angelo Russell uh, has played in three of the four games since he was traded. Uh, he will not apparently be playing tonight. They just said he's out for rest purposes, which that's an NBA, that's such an NBA thing to see. Um and then James Johnson. I don't know if there's any other names that you guys have really paid attention. I know uh, Crab's been there a little bit, hasn't done a whole lot, but um, you know, Shay, I'll ask you first since you've been, you know, since you've been getting a chance to check them out post trade date, uh, trade trade deadline. What are some things that uh, you've liked, not liked? What are some things that have stood out to you? Um, well, first and foremost, uh, looking at D'Angelo Russell because he's the big name in Minnesota now. Um, I think the good thing for the Timberwolves, especially, is that D'Angelo Russell likes where he's at and he's likes the people that he's around. And so that's obviously a big thing. And I think like going forward, especially look like we're all already looking at next year because there's no playoff push for us this year. But um, looking into next year, 
I mean, you have a lot of really good things. Yeah, I mean, I think in this offseason you need to pick up one more guy that can score the basketball because right now you have about three guys that can actually score the basketball for him. And Carl Anthony Towns is out, obviously. Um, but I really like Malik Beasley. I think uh, he was in Denver before, and on Denver he just didn't have as much of a role as he does with the Timberwolves. And I think in the few games that he's played with the Timberwolves, he's looked very good. Um, he's kind of inconsistent, but – He's one of those guys that are really streaky, and if he's on, he's going to put up 30 points in a night. Like against the Celtics, I think he had 27 and shot 10 for 18 or something like that. And so for the Timberwolves, like that's really nice to have from Malik Beasley. Uh, Hernan Gomez, he works hard on the boards. I mean, I don't think he's going to be the guy that's going to average 25 points a game for him, but I think he's a nice role player. And then with James Johnson also, uh, it was kind of like that in Miami. For James Johnson, he didn't really have as much of a role, especially this year, just because, I mean, Miami's they have a really good team this year, and uh, he just didn't get a whole lot of playing time. But with the Timberwolves, he's done a really good job defensively, especially with six out to me with him. And then he just kind of plays up point forward who can bring the ball up and he can, I mean, set him up in an offense if he needs to. Um, but I think their main focus should be getting D'Angelo Russell shots and let letting him do most of the work, find Malik Beasley, find the shooters in the corner. I mean, you said Alan Crabb. Alan Crabb has been a huge disappointment to me. I mean, I, didn't, I don't know why they traded for him in the first place, but um, that's my thoughts on it. Yeah, I don't know. A lot of those names that kind of were thrown in the mix had to do with money and things like then yeah. contracts and expiring. Um, Beasley's averaging 23 points so far as a wolf. Uh, Hernan Gomez is actually, actually uh, averaging 15 Um which is quite a bit above his his, his average. Um, and James Johnson is at nine, a little over nine points a game. So they've all been contributors. Um, you know, Dave, I know one name that maybe I briefly talked about, he was on the on the news or on the the game or whatever the announcers had him on, interviewed him the other night, was Jake Lehman. Um, and they were sounding like he might possibly be close to to getting back. He he'd only played in 14 games. Uh, to start the year so we haven't seen him for a long time it feels like um but you know him or other names or things like that are kind of stand out to you as things that you're going to be watching for these you know these last i think what they're down to you know around 30 games or something like that this this last part of the season uh what's going to hold your interest well i think getting layman back and getting him out there and, and getting him situated you know he was the only guy they signed in more than a one-year deal I think they signed him for a three-year deal in the offseason everybody else they signed was just a kind of a one-year flyer um, so they obviously viewed him as a little more of a, a long-term piece um, you hardly even got to look at him like you said he's played with 14 games he started a couple um, he's shown he can score a little bit uh, you know ten and a half points a game uh, pretty flat uh, on the other stats though so not a whole lot there other than maybe some points um, I'd like to see Culver and Akogi the rest of the year. They got to start taking a step forward, especially Culver. Um, right now, you got you got two guys who you're going to count on next year for for at a minimum depth, um, who are, are offensive liabilities really. In a in a situation where you're going to start checking, I, th- I think I saw they're they're shooting 44 three pointers a game, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, which is which is amazing. Um, now Akogi is going to do things on the defensive end, but but Culver's got to start. I mean, he's your number six pick. He's got to start producing now towards the back end of the year and building the next year. Um, Hernan Gomez, you know, he's a nice piece, actually. Uh, he's actually surprised me a little bit. You know, I wasn't expecting 
He's, he's knocking down, what, two and a half, three-pointers, I think, a game. He's actually shooting, you know, just under five of them. So he's he's not afraid to shoot the ball from the outside. Um, you know, five and a half rebounds a game, not much else. You know, maybe a steal here, a steal there. Um, and like you mentioned, James Johnson, you know, he has he's bounced around minutes-wise his entire career. With Wolves now, he's at 25 minutes a game, and his, his stats are pretty amazing. He's averaging nine points a game, five boards, three and a half assists, almost two steals a game and two blocks a game. The guy is stuffing the stat sheet. Uh, he's a guy that the, the team desperately needs. And when they first got him, I'm thinking, well, there's 16 mil off, off the cap next year we don't got to worry about. But, you know, he, he might be that that piece. And as we see the Wolves continue to, you know, to get leads and blow leads, they, they need somebody with backbone on this team who's, who's going to basically say enough is enough or show these younger guys, Towns and, and Russell, you know, how to put a stop to this stuff and, and not just let's – let things just deteriorate and, and rapidly go away in games. The next thing you know, they lose. Um, so I, I think those are kind of the main pieces, not even for this year, but but to see how they're going to fit next year. Uh, Beasley, if they do decide that they want to keep him, re-sign him, um, he looks like he's going to be a great fit. You know, he, he's shooting 45% from the three-point line. Uh, you can't ask much better than that. Um, knocking down almost five threes a night. That's, that's, that is what this offense needs. And I guess I'm of the, I'm of the point now, if, if, if they're going to commit to this this up-tempo three-point barrage, then you got to fully commit to it and put every single piece on the court into that system. Um, and that's where, you know, a guy like Culver, I just don't know how he fits. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what they, they do with him in the offseason. If they decide to keep him, try and mold him, or cut their losses real quick and move him in a package to bring another another piece in. Yeah, he's played a little bit. He's been playing a little bit better since the, some of the moves have been made. Um, but his his shooting was horrendous early on. I mean, absolutely horrendous. His his numbers were bottom of the league um, overall. But I guess you know if we're talk about all this, talk about Towns a little bit and where he fits into this right now. Um, he fractured his wrist, so he's out for what they said it like two weeks. I it's got to be it's going to have to be more than that. You would figure he's only played in 35 games so far this year. He's only played in 10 wins of those 35 games. Um, you know, his numbers weren't bad. It, he was at a career high in, in average in points uh, over 26, but, and he was shooting well from outside, um, taking at eight threes a game, which, uh, you know, for a guy his size uh, and shooting at 41%, that's pretty impressive. So um, he signed through 2024. So I guess the question I kind of asked then, you know, he got his good buddy here. That was what, you know, he was throwing the fit beforehand. It didn't look good. And then uh, they made the, the Russell move and, and he seemed to lighten up or whatever and went and met him at the airport and has been having a great time since. But um, how long does that last if they, if, if this doesn't, you know, ne- doesn't turn into translating to wins next year and they, they find themselves in kind of the same situation that they're in now where they're blowing leads and racking up losses, um, you know, how long does it take for that honeymoon to end? Is it something that you think uh, they can succeed, I guess, in the long run? Um, I guess looking into like looking at next year, and I mean in the future, I guess, uh, with Carl Anthony Towns. I mean, I like Towns. I'm a big Towns fan, but I think he, I think he complains more than he plays, and I think that he's kind of like one of those guys on the team that can tear a team apart. Um, like earlier this year, you were watching him, and like that first like two weeks of the season was awesome, just because Andrew Wiggins was playing like who he was supposed to play, and then I don't know, the wheels just kind of fell off, and 
Uh, and then that's when Carl and Town started complaining. And that's when he started going to the media and saying stuff. And and then that's basically, I mean, that's what, uh, that Kings game really stuck out to me when they had like a 24-point lead in the mm-hmm. fourth quarter and blew it. I mean, you could tell that was basically the end. They dealt off Robert Covington like three days later. And But I think in the long run, I think Carl Anthony Towns just kind of needs to buckle down and start playing basketball instead of getting caught up in the media. But, I, I mean, I hope I'm being optim- optimistic and saying that this is going to work because – D'Angelo Russell and Carl Anthony Towns fit very well together. And if they can surround them with shooters and, and people, two-way players that can play defense, uh, it should work. But, I mean, if, if you're Minnesota and you have Carl Anthony Towns, he just complains and causes problems in the locker room. I don't know how long you can take that as an owner and as a general manager as well. He doesn't endear himself to fans that way. You know, being what should be just a huge superstar um, in a market that doesn't have many of them, you know, in Minneapolis uh, – he has never really reached that next level status for, you know, fans and things like that. And I think his personality has a little bit, same thing with Wiggins, you know, uh, people just wanted Wiggins. They, they expected him. And, and Steve Kerr had an interesting, he was talking about Wiggins. Who's been a little bit, has had some success there. His first four games, or he's averaging 23 points in, in golden state and is shooting really well from the floor and played some defense. And Kerr said that the perception of him wasn't fair, uh, coming out you know as a number one pick uh, people expected him to be this huge game changer um and that necessarily wasn't ever going to be the case and that he's more going to fit in there as, as in his role there than he ever would having to carry a team so i, I mean i guess my thoughts on it are, are at least that i guess if you're going to take him out of the picture you know cat needs to step up and, and be that superstar you know in the, the nba is a different game uh, in other sports where it takes having you know a superstar or two to really uh, move past that okay we're just gonna fight to get into the playoffs and and fold from there but to take that next step so can cat be that guy dave i mean can he does he have the ability or personality to to take a team to the next level yeah he's got the ability i mean he, he's you look at his statistics and they they kind of speak for themselves he's He's really, really turned himself in, into quite the three-point shooter, uh, which is which is kind of amazing for a guy his size. I'd like to see him do more on the defensive end, uh, for sure. Uh, you know, even the effort thing, even if even the effort on the defensive side of the ball would change things drastically for the whole team. Um, is is Russell and him going to work? I think so. Offensively, with the pick and roll we talked about before, there's they're going to be a dynamic offense. With those two guys and, and Malik Beasley or whoever, you know, if they end up moving on a piece and bringing somebody back, they're going to be a dynamic offense. It's the defensive side that concerns me, and you know that's that's kind of where where push might come to shove. The nice thing about having Russell there, who's who's his best bud in the world, is he's got somebody who's going to keep him accountable too. He's not going to be able to go to the media and start running his mouth off on his teammates. Uh, I guess even though maybe you know Russell's been known to uh, get into scraps with some of his teammates too, but. I don't think that's going to be the case here. Um, the pressure is on Towns. He threw the fit. He got his guy that he wanted and wanted, you know, for a while. Uh, so it's put up or shut up time for him, you know. And this year's a lost year. The West isn't going anywhere next year. So it's going to be a struggle no matter who they add next year to even to make the playoffs because the West is going to be so tough. It, to me, it's the year after that. If they if they can't solidify themselves come, you know, what the twenty twenty two season. Um, that's when you might start seeing this thing blow up again um, and going in another direction. Yeah, I read this thing about, well, you know, are they destined as a 
as a small market cold city team to never be able to really pull in outside of the draft, the big free agent that it takes sometimes to, to, to you know, to move somebody like Katz and Russell to the next level. But the, the Bucks have done it, have they not? I mean, the Bucks are a small market cold city team. So what's different about that, I guess? What are, what are the Wolves not doing that some of those other small market teams uh, like Milwaukee are doing? And, and, and can they mimic that at all? Um, ultimately, I think with Milwaukee, uh, they've gotten a, a couple very, very good draft picks. I mean, out of Giannis, obviously. And then um, they've just drafted really good, like, role players to go around him. Uh, Chris Middleton is also, like, a really good draft pick. But I think they have the opportunity to because, I mean, I mean, Minnesota's not really known for their whole basketball thing in Timberwolves. They just really haven't been anything. But once you get those – those two big names, you have Carl Anthony Towns, you have D'Angelo Russell. I mean, I feel like you're going to have people who want to play with them. Um, like in Brooklyn, obviously, with D'Angelo Russell when he was there. I mean, they surrounded him with good players. I mean, granted, he's in Brooklyn, but, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if you see Joe Harris. He plays for the Nets right now. He's in free agent this offseason, and that would be a great addition to the Timberwolves. So they should definitely pursue him and uh, hopefully get him because they need shooting on the outside. But I think that they have the ability to. I think that the front office needs to start spending the money if they have the money. Yeah. I mean, do you think that they, is there, I guess, you know, if you've talked, I don't know if there's any other names out there that you had looked at uh, this off season, Dave, that you think could maybe help um, if they do decide to, to stick with Beasley, Russell and Kat. Um, is there, what's the next piece? Is there a next piece? Well, you know, on the free agent market, there isn't, um, you know, if they're going to make a trade, I've mentioned it before, you, you bring in the, the third musketeer and, and Devin Booker, how they fit him financially, what they'd have to give up. You know, I honestly don't know. Obviously, Malik Beasley would be gone. You'd be looking at at least one of your draft picks this year that have to go with it and then, and then maybe some other pieces, too. Um, on the free agent side of things, there's not a whole lot. You know, the only guy that really looks like a fit, you mentioned Joe Harris is a great fit if he's a free agent. He'd be a great spot. Um the other one that kind of stood out to me is Davis Burtons. You're looking for that that uh, three-point specialist power forward, man. He'd be your guy. They probably wouldn't have to spend a ton of cash to get him. Um, if you saw the three-point uh, contest, man, the guy can fill it up. Um, he's a big dude. He shoot the ball. He'd fit this offense that they're, that they're trying to get to pretty well. Again, you're talking about another guy who probably doesn't play really a lick of defense. Um, but if, if you're going to commit to this high-tempo high offense, I guess go all in yeah i guess those are some things that will kind of be interesting to see how it plays out you know the money issue they are over the, the the tax right now but i with some of the expiring contracts and things that they have coming up i think you said jake layman is the only other one that they had signed uh, outside of cat um for multiple years so it'll be interesting to see how uh rosas plays that and they they play that out um just sticking with a kind of timberwolves ish story um kevin garnett uh, and, and, you know, he was, you know, Dave, you're right around my age too. You know, he was kind of the, our age group was the, was that superstar the Timberwolves had, you know, and um, really put them on the map for the first time ever as a franchise. Uh, he is having his number five retired by Boston. Um, and questions abound about why he spent six years in Boston, won an NBA title in 08, obviously. But questions about 
you know, why is he having his number five retired in Boston before he's having his number 21 retired here in Minnesota? You know, he played almost 14 years in Minnesota uh, on nearly a thousand games um, and, and was the face of the franchise for all those years. Uh, so there's been issues with the owner, uh, pretty well documented issues with the owner, with Glenn Taylor. Um, the, the possibly been prior during his career here, uh, some promises made about being able to become a, when, when he's retired, become a minority owner along with Taylor. Um, and apparently he'd gone back on his word on that at some, some point, um, a quote from, they asked him about that, Garnett, about what the difference is between Boston and Minnesota. And he said, quote, when it comes to management, it's not even close. Uh, many runs it one way. Boston, which has a culture of basketball, they run it a whole nother way. And he respects that. I cannot, I can't tell a man, talking about Glenn Taylor, basically, what to do with his possessions or whatever he owns. But I'm very appreciative of Boston and them, re- them retiring my number five. So I guess that's a polite way of, of going after Taylor that it has mostly has, has everything to do with him. Um, Garnett was pretty critical of, of Taylor when everything was going on last year, two years ago with Butler um, and how he was handling it, uh, said some negative things about Taylor there as well about his not having knowledge about basketball. Um, I'm trying to clean that up the way <laughs> that he said it, but, um, but yeah, it, you know, I guess it, you know, I, if you are a big a Garnett fan as I was when you were younger, you probably have uh, the opinion that he needs to have his number 21 retired here or in Minnesota. But um, it, it, is this a bad look for, for the Wolves not not retiring his number before Boston does? I, I, it's a bad look. I think it's, it's an embarrassment to Glenn Taylor more than anything because it, in the basketball and the NBA world, I think it's pretty evident – um, you know, kind of the rift between the two. The guy was the franchise. He, he put the franchise on the map. You know, you think about how many butts Kevin Garnett put in Glenn Taylor's seats. Mm-hmm. The amount of money that he made Glenn Taylor over those years. Uh, he should have had his jersey retired basically one of the first games after he retired the next season. It should have been done. And the fact that it didn't get done, you know, Boston gave him a little bit of time to actually for the Wolves to do it. They didn't do it. Now they're doing it. It just makes Glenn Taylor look like a fool, to be honest. Um, and just kind of another another check in the, the dysfunctional franchise that historically has been in Minnesota Timberwolves. Just added to the list. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it's, as a fan, it's, I don't want to say it's sad because, again, it, it's going to happen someday. Um, but Boston shouldn't have had, had it retired first. Minnesota should have stepped up and done it immediately. Yeah, definitely. I, that's I agree. I know you're obviously quite a bit younger, yeah. Shay. Um, Run around for Garnett's heydays in, in Minnesota or whatever, but um, and you know enough about the Wolves to to know how important he is to the franchise. What are your thoughts? Um, well, as Corey said, I mean, I, I don't really remember Kevin Garnett playing for the Timberwolves because um, when I started really watching basketball, he was it was with like Paul Pierce and Ray Allen, and he was with the Celtics. But I mean. I've, I've known Timberwolves basketball for a long time, and every time you think of the Minnesota Timberwolves, you don't really think of anyone but, I mean, Kevin Garnett, just because he, like Dave said, he literally put the franchise on the map before that. I don't know if the, he took him to the first final, right? Like, to the Western Conference final. He took him to the playoffs for the first time yeah, ever, yeah. exactly. I mean, so, I mean, <laughs> Kevin Garnett was the one who made the Minnesota Timberwolves what they were in that day. And so I think, to Glenn Taylor especially, it is really an embarrassment just because – um, of what Kevin Garnett did for you and did for your franchise. And the fact that you are not retiring his jersey 
while the team that he played for for would you say earlier? Almost 14 years if you count the two year. Uh, and then year how long did he play for the Celtics for? Like six five, years in Boston. Yeah. Exactly. So I mean, Kevin Garnett plays 14 years with the Timberwolves and six years with Boston and Boston's retiring his jersey. I mean, it just doesn't really add up to me in my mind, but um, I think if you're Glenn Taylor at some point, you have to do it. And I would, would advise him to do it sooner rather than later if it was me. Yeah, then the Wolves only have, and that's not a small thing to be have your number retired by Boston because man, they got all that history and, and great players and stuff like that. So um, they're not just throwing away the number five; they're doing it for a reason. He was a huge part of that um, championship team that they had there. But next to next to probably Kirby Puckett, um, I don't remember a bigger star uh, in Minnesota uh, in my you know childhood or, or around that time period, even really since then. Um, then Garnett, I mean, he was, he absolutely put Timberwolves, he, he got people really for the first time, even in the, in the Minneapolis area to pay attention um, because they had been so bad for their, the first decade of their existence. Um, you know, and him along with it, he was the reason they turned it around. Really, the Timberwolves only have one number retired. I looked at, uh, do you know who it is, Dave? Uh, <laughs> Malik Seeley, number two, Malik Seeley. Yeah. Um, you know, he didn't spend a lot of time with the, the Wolves, but he passed away while he was with them, and uh, that was part of the the reason for the retirement there. But that's it. I mean, um, so I, I I don't know. I really do hope something gets done there uh, at some point soon, sooner than later. I think it needs to happen, uh, probably for all parties concerned, just to put those things aside. Um, you know, and it kind of goes, I guess, and and I'll ask you kind of what. You, you know about it, but um, there's some drama there as well in Boston about him when, when he gets his number retired there, whether Ray Allen will be at the, the ceremony or not. Um, Doc Rivers, who coached them at the time in 2008, he's now with the Clippers, talked about how he's going to try his best to, to talk Allen into coming back or try and smooth over some things. Uh, he had uh, He left – in 12 they won in eight and then he left in 2012 to go to miami and apparently it didn't sit well with garnett and paul pierce and rajon rondo um and and they've all kind of haven't really spoken a whole lot since um you know so i i don't know do you think it, that it's important for alan to get there for for that ceremony uh yeah i think it's if you're kevin garnett and uh rajon rondo paul pierce i think it is a big deal but, and then also, I mean, if you're Ray Allen, I mean, do you, I wouldn't know if I would really want to go back to that though, uh, just because of how like the fallout happened, obviously um, LeBron James and Dwayne Wade were superior to them in the East at that time. And um, Ray Allen kind of took the easy way and went to Miami after um, Miami beat Boston at the playoffs. But uh, if you're Ray Allen uh, coming back would kind of be hard just because of everything that Kevin Garnett and, um, Paul Pierce it sounds like Garnett was really the one that was most angry about yeah, it. Yeah, and you, I mean, I was, I mean, I was still young back in those days, but you remember seeing in the media and in the interviews, he would go after Ray Allen like he was not afraid to say. Obviously, it was Kevin Garnett, but I mean, because he's the biggest trash talker in the NBA <laughs> ever, honestly. But um, he would go after Ray Allen uh, personally, and uh, if you're Ray Allen, it'd be hard to go back to that. But at the same time, if if you're one of Kevin Garnett's, uh, I mean, I, I don't know if you want to say friends, but I mean, obviously. If you care about Kevin Garnett, it's a big day for Kevin Garnett. So, I mean, I think if you're Ray Allen, I, I personally would try to get the guts to go. But, I mean, I can see if he doesn't, I can see where and why he wouldn't. 
Yeah, it's been nearly, I mean, how long does it take for those things to die out? It's yeah, been nearly exactly. a decade, I guess. Um, Dave, any final thoughts on that before we kind of wrap this up? Yeah, I mean, just real quick. It, they're all adults. I mean, it's time to move on. You know, out of respect for him, his achievements, and what they did as a team, you just got to show up. You don't even have to talk to the guy. Just show up, be there, you know, smile, look good for the pictures, and, and call the date. But out of respect, you got to show up. All right, so uh, we're nearing the end of that first section, so maybe we'll come back. There's a couple of NBA questions I wanted to ask, but uh, maybe we'll come back and ask those in our last uh, our last segment. So uh, we'll take a quick break and come on back with some MLB stuff. Welcome back to maybe next year, our second segment here. We're going to talk a little bit of uh, baseball news or notes. Um First part here, uh, before I get to Dave and, and Shay are both uh, big Cubs fans, so we'll talk maybe a little bit about them um, uh, here. But I wanted to just get your thoughts because today was the, the first televised uh, twin spring training game, so it was fun to watch that, um, even though by the end of it you don't recognize any of the names that are still in the game, but and they ended in a tie. Um, but still fun to see some of those folks out there. Saw Donaldson out there for the first time. I think tomorrow uh, Maeda is going to make his first appearance as well. But as as this all gets underway now in the end of February and into March, spring training uh, sometimes seems to drag a little bit sometimes because you're you're ready for the regular season to start. But um, during this this period of time, uh, what are some things that you're kind of watching for, Dave? Um, or as the next you know three four weeks play out as we get ready, uh, I think they start in Oakland at the end of March. I think is where the Twins start. So what are you watching to, to up until that point? Well, you know, usually spring training, you're, you're looking for those position battles. You know, who's going to make the team? Who might not make the team? But with the Twins, it's it's pretty much set in stone. Uh, basically, you got one spot. It's probably going to be Jake Cave or La Tortuga. That's the deal. Um, so, I mean, that's kind of the only position battle that's really up in the air. So, for me, it's it's basically watching these guys to see if they're going to pick up where they left off offensively. Um, you know, the only thing about the, the monster year everybody had last year is if there's any regression to the means. Um, you know, was it an aberration or is this what we're going to do? So seeing the guys, you know, consistently hit the ball, pick up where they left off last year uh, is kind of the main thing I'd like to see. And then the other piece that goes with that, once he comes back, is Byron Buxton. Uh, once he gets back to get through spring training, to get up to speed so he can hit the ground running uh, and get the season off to a successful start, unlike uh, seasons before where, he, you know, he's dinged up or he, gets into a big slump to start the season and just gets off the wrong track. If he can get going to start the season, man, it, it, there's all cylinders are going to be humming and it's going to be a fun, fun uh, season to watch. Yeah. That I had, I had Buxton down as one of the things I was going to watch for too. Um, it, it, he might not, we might not even see him in spring training when, when I was reading about, um, he just started taking live BP was cleared for that. Um, you know, obviously they're going to be careful with him. Uh, you're yeah. not going to rush anybody into playing a spring training game, but, for somebody that's been out as long as he has now, um, you hate to see him batting for the first time, you know, live in the middle of the season or whenever you'd like him to get. And whether that means they keep him down there when the season starts to get caught up or whatever, but um, it should be close, at least what it sounds like, close to him being ready about the end. Um, I think it's going to be interesting to watch that fifth starter spot um, and, and how that shakes out. Um, because now with Maeda, we have it, – it's – First four spots are pretty much set in stone now uh, with uh, Brios, Ordorizzi, Homer Bailey, and then Maeda. Um, 
you know, you're not going to have Rich Hill or Michael Pineda, uh, at least for the first month, month and a half, uh, probably even longer for Hill. So how is that fifth spot going to shake out? And, you know, how much are you going to need that fifth spot in April when, when there are a lot of postponements or uh, off days and things like that that you don't have once you hit midsummer? Um, so the names that'll that'll kind of keep an eye on, uh, Devin Smelter, who got a little bit of, you know, towards the end there, um, as it seemed like the pitchers were dropping like flies at the end of the year, saw some action. Randy Dobnik, obviously, as well, who... We saw a start game two against the Yankees um, out of necessity. And then Lewis Thorpe, I guess the, those are three names that we'll, we'll be able to see a little bit this spring um, and, and see how that shakes out. The infield defense is going to be interesting too to watch and um, in, in how they adjust to throwing Donaldson in there at third. I don't think that there's any way it can't be a, a positive uptick. You know, the, the Twins defense, infield defense last year was not, um, was below average. Uh, it was negative 15 outs above average. Um, Donaldson by himself swings a plus 14 to third base by taking over there uh, first to know. Um, Polanco was the worst uh, minus outs above, above average shortstop in the major leagues last year at negative 16. And even Arise was a negative six um, at second base. So how will Donaldson affect uh, that dynamic? Um, and then probably... Looking at how close maybe Royce Lewis, uh, Trevor Larnich, or Alex Kirloff are, we'll get to see them. They're all non-roster invitees. Um, so it'll be interesting to see their development and how close they might be and whether or not it, the closer they are, if that could affect, you know, we get close to the trade deadline in, in June, July, and the Twins are really in need of something if one of those can now be, you know, used as trade bait. Um and kind of the last thing I think will be, and this isn't just for spring training, it'll be uh, as the season starts as well, it's kind of watching how do the Twins handle the actual expectations they're facing now um, because they are the favorites in the Central going in. Um, I think that's probably, we can agree on that. And they haven't been in that position for quite a while now. You know, it's been over a decade. And uh, there was a story about how Baldelli uh, had his big, day one speech uh, down there and, and brought up the world series and, and that being the expectation, which, you know, is either <laughs> you might take as a good omen or bad omen, but um, just being, just bringing that up as, as a, you know, the goal, the destination, um, how are they going to handle that? And you talk a little bit about regression. I think everybody worries about that when you had so many guys that played above, um, you know, previous, averages and things like that how much regression will they will there be this year if there will be any for some of those key players so things to watch things to think about as we we check that out so i know that you're not a twins fan but um anything that stands out to you um i think well going into the season not really spring training but uh going into the season uh just seeing how donaldson fits in is going to be big i mean you you obviously know what you're getting from him but will he produce for the twins um, I mean, I'm not a huge Twins fan, but I went to a couple games last year, and uh, they they have a they have a really good core, I think, and they're all young. And Donaldson coming in really helps that. So I mean, I just I'm excited to see uh, how he fits in and if he will produce for Minnesota like they need him to. Yeah, and you could tell this even today that was a, the whole crowd was there to watch him bat twice and, and ground out. Um, there's a lot of curious people to see how he's doing. Or how he looks in a Twins uniform. All right, so you guys are both Cubs fans, so I'll give you a little bit of a, um, 
a little bit of free pass to talk about them because I think they are definitely an interesting club to watch with some of the changes that have been made. Um, obviously the new manager and some issues that have been happening with Chris Bryant uh, prior to the season, um, whether there's hard feelings there or not, um, whether you think he's going to stick around. The story today that I was reading about is that the they're, they're, he's making the move to the leadoff spot and there were some people that were questioning Ross or whatever, uh, whether he had complete control over the lineup, you know, with the new coach, sometimes that's can be iffy, but Ross came out and said that, Hey, the lineup is my decision. It, I, it's not the research and development department's decision. I'll take their advice, but ultimately I thought that's where he fits best. So um, why don't you give us a little bit uh, of your thoughts uh, on where the Cubs are right now um, as you get ready for the season some things that you're going to watch for and maybe how you see it shaking out for them. Um, ultimately coming into, uh, this year, I'm actually, I'm a lot more excited this year than I was last year, just because, uh, last year it just felt like, I mean, they won the world series in what year was it? Uh, 2016. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They won. And, and, I mean, ever since they won the world series, it's always felt like they were, I mean, that's all you can think about, but I mean, it, you fired, or not really fired, but get rid of John Madden, which it really needed to happen just because, uh, I don't know, just people flare. And, I mean, you know, and bringing in Gross is, was a great move. In my opinion, it was a great move just because he gets along so well with everyone there, and all the players love him. And then another thing I'm really excited for is Chris Bryant. Um, I think Chris Bryant, every interview you see with Chris Bryant, he's talking about how much – he likes Chicago and how he doesn't really want to be traded. And I, I mean, I really believe that just because Chris Bryant's kind of a man of his word. I mean, he has been since he came to the Cubs, I should say, but I mean, I think that Chris Bryant's really going to have, I mean, I think he's going to have a breakout year. He was kind of slumping last year, but then he came out of it in the, earlier in the year. He was slumping. He came out of it. Um, and then another thing I'm just really excited for is to see if they can finish games uh, last year towards the end when they were making that playoff push, they lost like four or five games in a row. And yeah. Every single game that they that they lost, they were leading in like the seventh inning, I think. And it was so hard to watch. I watched every single game, and you just knew coming into the about the seventh inning, you're like, "Oh, this is what it, is this going to happen again? It's going to happen again." And it would happen. And I think a big thing with that was pitching last year. Obviously, that they, they had no bullpen. I mean, absolutely none. So you were throwing you Darvish. And Kimbrel wasn't uh, the pickup everybody thought no, he was. No, not be. at all. I mean, you were throwing Darvish. Um, they threw him. He threw like two or three complete games in that last month last year. And you, you Darvish. I mean, I, I'm a big you Darvish fan. I think he can, he's. I mean, he's done good with the Cubs for what he was with the Dodgers before. But I think uh, coming into the season. Uh, finishing games obviously and then what your bullpen like provides for you because you can't have those starting pitchers throwing um 120 pitches every single game just because that it obviously didn't work out for us last year so i hope we don't repeat that again how about you dave what are you watching well you know expectations on a national level seem to be down um so you know they made the coaching change you know the, the pressure actually seems to be to an extent off um, Bleacher Report's got them predicted third, 82 wins. USA Today's got them fourth in the division, 82 wins. Wow. Um, Vegas' over-unders got them at 86 wins. They're a little higher on them. Um, you know, the National League Central is going to be a, a dogfight. you you got some really, really good teams. Cincinnati made a bunch of moves in the offseason. Uh, they're going to be very competitive. They're going to have a really good pitching staff. Um, but you look at the Cubs, and, you know, 
they have a lot of pieces from from that World Series team still there. You add in the manager Ross now, who was the catcher for that team. He was kind of their glue guy, and now you move into a managerial role. And as far as morale and things go, and the ebbs and flows of a season, I think it's going to be a lot better than than Madden. You know, Madden was a flair flair guy. You know, he's highs and highs and lows and lows. Um, it might be a little more even keel this year. Um, like you mentioned, Shay, though, the, the bullpen to me is going to be the big X factor because who the heck is going to throw for them? They lost Stroke, they lost Kinsler, they lost Edwards Jr., they lost Chiswick. Uh, I think Kimbrell's going to be better this year. You know, it, it's kind of that awkward sign in the middle of the season. You see it time and time again on trade deadlines. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Uh, now he's going to have a whole spring to get into things. If he can lock down the ninth inning, that's going to help, uh, you know, a massive amount. The lineup is legit. You look at the lineup that they're proposing here, and you got KB leading off, Rizzo, Baez, who's a stud, Schwarber, Contreras, Hayward, who finally turned things around a little bit last year, uh, Ian Happ, and then whoever wins the second base battle. That's a potent lineup. So they're going to score some runs. They've got a good, at least solid four starting staff. Um, it might be nice to see Jose Quintana take a step forward. He's kind of been that guy you expect to do more, you know, more and more things, and it just doesn't quite seem to happen. So maybe this is the year he finally takes a step forward again. Uh, but but the Central is going to be a dogfight. St. Louis is going to be good. Milwaukee is going to be good. Cincinnati is going to be improved. They're not going to be able to slump like they have in the past. Okay, so you had you, you told us where everybody's predicting their win total at. What's what's your over under? I don't think anything under ninety to me is is uh, is a failure this year. I mean they, they've. They're getting up there in age. They've got a lot of decisions to make. You know, you kind of see, as a, as a Twins fan, too, you kind of see they, they sold the farm to win the World Series in 2016. And now you're kind of starting to see the replications. They had to let guys go because they're over the luxury tax, which basically meant their bullpen got shelled. So now they're down to you know a bunch of no-namers who are going to have to step up. they got decisions to make in the future. They poured a bu- bunch of money into, uh, into Hayward, and they haven't really gotten that back yet. Um, they got the World Series, so as a fan, after watching them for my entire life, basically suck. Uh, <laughs> you know, we'll take it. And I'm not going to be, you know, if, if things don't pan out this year, you know, we got the World Series in 16, so at least he got one. So, but it is something for Twins fans to keep an eye on. The decisions they make here in the next year or two, uh, it's kind of the same decision the Twins might have to make this year. What, what's good for short term versus long term? Yeah, I think we saw that with Gratterall and, and Maeda, that move, too, about short-term, long-term. All right, I know we've, we've talked about the Astros the, the last couple of shows um, and, you know, what's been going on with other players talking out about the situation. But the question I, and I from watching, they played their first uh, spring training game um, against the Nationals, and apparently they share a, tr- a spring training complex, and it was supposed to be, it was listed as a, an Astros um, home game. And they, <laughs> they got, uh, they faced quite a bit uh, of what I'm going to, you know, ask what is it going to be like this season for them? They faced uh, fans banging on trash cans during BP already that had been thrown out. Um, and then during this game, their own players were being heckled. Altuve, Correa uh, were being heckled uh, when they were out of the dugout. Um, fans brought signs that were taken away that said Houston asterisks and a couple other things. Um, every player was loudly booed when they were introduced. Even the mascot was booed when, when it was introduced. Um, 
you know, so I guess it kind of begs the question and maybe it will die out, but uh, what is the season going to be like for them this year uh, when they travel? How do you see all of it playing out? Um, well, it's not going to be pretty. I mean, that's just, <laughs> just kind of how it is. But um, I think as an Astros player, um, they're at the point where they just need to stop talking. Uh, I mean, you see Carlos Correa, it's like every day in the news, it's like he said something else, and you're like, why are you still talking? You're just making it look worse, and you guys like, you guys got caught. <laughs> I mean, but I think for the Astros, they, I mean, obviously they still have the talent um, to be a very good baseball team. Yeah, I you know, think they're forgetting that, yeah. Yeah, they have Altuve, they have Correa, they have Justin Verlander. Uh, you lose Garrett Cole, but, um, I mean, you still have an extremely good baseball team, so – I mean, even if you were cheating, can you prove to the, like everyone in the world that we don't have to cheat to win? Because I, I obviously, I really think that they can win, and I would not be surprised if they make the playoffs this year, just because they have. I mean, they have that X on their back, and like if they want to prove to people, they have the opportunity to prove to people what what they can do. So going on the road for them is not going to be an easy thing. But if you're an Astros player, I feel like you have to have that mindset that we're just going to prove the world wrong. I mean, that's just how I look at it. Yeah, Dusty Baker was asked about, you know, them the facing what they're facing from fans and things like that. And he just, he said straight up that they got to put their big boy pants on, you know, and they're going to have to learn to deal with it. Um, it's going to be the nature of the game. But I guess, what do you see it, Dave? Uh, how do you see it playing out? Yeah, you know, at home, it's going to be pretty sheltered. But they go on the road, it's going to be a gong show. You know, whether it's all three games, three or four games for the series, but at least the first game for sure of every series, it's going to be a, a total circus, uh, at, at least the first time through when they're, when they're going these places. Um, and, and like you just said, they have to put their big boy pants on. They, they, they did it. They boned up to it to an extent. Now you got to deal with it. You know, you, you didn't get – fans are going to be more mad because they didn't get punished. So now the fans are going to take it upon themselves and do the punishing. You know, I still think, you know, Evil, Evil Shield's got to be smiling ear to ear because they've probably sold every type of patty to each one of those players. <laughs> um, because at some point it's coming. And those guys are going to get thrown at. They're going to get hit. It's going to be done discreetly because no pitcher's blatantly just going to throw at somebody's head. They're going to take their shots when they know it's not going to be suspected, and they're going to get theirs. Um, to me, what really sticks out, you know, they start the season at home versus the Angels. Then they immediately go on the road to Oakland. Um, Mike Fires is set to be the number two yeah. pitcher for Oakland, and you can't make this up. If it plays out the way it should, April 1st, April Fool's Day will be the third game of that series, and Mike Fires will be pitching against Houston. <laughs> I mean, that, that's going to be must see TV. Yeah, it will be. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's going to be a circus, and it's actually going to be, as a fan sitting back and watching, I, I can't wait to see it because it's going to be entertaining. Yeah, I was watching the MLB Network. They do a preview, you know, on each team, and uh, they, you know, they just said this is like unlike anything ever before. Doing a preview with a team, um, you know, they just are getting bombarded every single day with questions. And you know, is it going to? What's, you know, when do you get tired of answering? Obviously, you're already tired of answering questions, but um, when do they get tired of asking the questions? And so, I, I think you're right in saying that the first time they go somewhere, it's going to be ugly. And, you know, maybe after that, maybe it, it dies down a little bit. But um, there's going to be that that fires game. That's going to be really interesting uh, because, you know, who was a big pop? He came out and said he was a snitch uh, for talking about it. And and other people have said, you know, good for you. You know, so he's he's kind of he said he received death threats even, um, 
which I think is a little extreme, you know, and this is, it, it's like, it, yes, this is a bad situation and they should have done what they did, but it's still a game. You know, it's, it shouldn't be affecting anybody's actual safety or lives or anything like that. Um, all right. So the last thing I'll ask you about in the MLB section, then just because I saw a story about it um, and it, it, I definitely think it's going to become more prevalent. And that is that this spring training, the MLB will be using an automatic automated strike zone um, register running in the background of every game. Now it's not going to be calling balls and strikes, but it's going to be registering, you know, based on umpires calls, whether they're correct or not. Um, and whether or not it, this is the first step in, in moving forward to all, one day getting to an all automated strike call um, system last year, they used, I don't know if you remember this, that they, the MLB partnered with an independent Atlantic league and used a system called TrackMan, And it, uh, it registered balls and strikes and, and called them. And then it buzzed to the, the actual umpire behind the plate, whether it was a, a ball or a strike and they made the call. So um, there was a lot of issues with that. Uh, a lot of issues. And this year they're going to use MLB is using something that they said is, is a, a huge step up called Hawkeye. Um, they're going to use it in all the spring training ballparks after the major league teams uh, leave. Um, it says that it's a two dimensional automated strike zone, but um, you know, I was reading about some of the problems that they had last year with the track man. And there were just a lot of situations where, um, you know, hitters would think that they would had walked on ball four and were halfway down the line, and then the umpire would get buzzed in his ear that it was a strike, and then call the strike, and they get they have to come back, and just some odd, awkward situations like that. Um, Manfred's come out and say that it, it's not going to the MLB will not seriously consider using technology to call balls and strikes um, until it, it, the accuracy improves significantly. But um, you know, it, it, it looks like. It, as these things play out that we know that technology has changed so much in the last five, 10 years in major leagues. Um, just listening to some of the pitchers and the things that they do now to track, you know, spin rate and all kinds of different things. Uh, it's pretty incredible. So, I mean, do you think within, I don't know, the next 10 years, we will get to a point where no longer will umpires be calling balls and strikes themselves? Dave? Ooh, 10 years. Yeah, you know, it, 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 in 10 years, I think you're probably right. I think there will eventually be enough pressure um, for, for things to legitimize. You know, you see it across the board in these other, other leagues, too. The video replays, uh, you know, it's kind of funny because the, people complain about how long time the games take, but yet they want things like this done, so it's, it's correct. And there's no, there's no human error. You take the human error out of it. I actually kind of enjoy the human error. It makes it real. It makes it, you know, legit. Things happen in life. Things happen in the game. You got to overcome it. You know, that's part of the game to me. So I hope they don't do it. Um, you know, I just see there's in 10 years, there's going to be enough pressure um, that it's going to get done, sadly. Um, I could see it happening, but I really don't want it to happen. I don't know. Just, uh, I mean, I played baseball all through high school and everything, and um, I think a part of baseball is uh, the umps that you have. Obviously, like in South Dakota, and I mean, from where we're from, we have about the same umps every game. It's I mean, it's a rotation, but you know, when you have one certain ump behind the plate, you're like, oh, his strike zone's wide, his strike zone's low, you know. So mm -hmm. I think it's a part of baseball. I don't really like the fact that you're having uh, technology do it for you. Um, I could see it happening uh, in the next ten years, definitely. But I mean, I think 
if you're a baseball player, do you really want that to happen? Just because of, I mean, that's how baseball works. I mean, it's, I mean, it's not run by the umps, but you know, like the umps have a big say in it, obviously. And I think, uh, as a baseball fan and as a baseball player, also like I think having the um, call the balls and strikes is a big thing. Yeah, I think it, it probably you know obviously baseball traditionalists will not will never be on board. Um, but you know you know we've said before in previous shows, Dave, that uh, traditionalists have kind of their day is is, is over in, in, in baseball. Um, it, it has been now for all the changes that we've seen in the last five to 10 years, um, the entire game. I mean, everything has changed. Um, you can go all the way back to Moneyball to start to where you see the dominoes fall there. But, um, you know, I think people that play baseball, though, that really love the game, um, don't like that human element being taken out of the game. You know, obviously, you know with, with technology and being able to, have instant replay for close important calls that's okay i think that most fans want to see the calls get you know made the right way but so much of pitching is is you know debut pitcher too so much of pitching is the human element of it um you know catchers stealing a strike uh working the corners uh, gradually to get to, to widen out your strike zone um it'll take away the art of catching that's for sure you know i know we, we track catchers that are good at pitch framing and things like that, that'll be over. Um, you know, umps decisions give games character. Uh, the relationships between umpires and catchers and pitchers and hitters is all just something that's so, that's so important, I think, to the game of baseball and, and to anybody that has really ever played it um, and loves it. So I'm, I'm hoping not, but like I said, there's been so many changes, uh, most of them for the better, but um, over the last five to 10 years that I, I definitely could see if the technology does get to the point where it is pretty foolproof that there won't be some kind of move for it. Um, I guess, I mean, I, if it does get to that point where it is pretty, pretty close to flawless, Dave, would you support it? If it can be done accurately and guaranteed accurately. Um, yeah, I don't know. The, the thing with me with, with technology, I guess I never thought I'd be this way, but you know, the older I get, the more, you know, I, I find in the day-to-day life technology gets to be a pain in the butt sometimes. Anything, anything computerized can be hacked. And, you know, as long as <laughs> you, you're looking at the next cheating scandal right there, somebody hacks into an umpire and rigs the balls and strikes, I don't know. <laughs> so as long, as long as it can be done accurately and guaranteed it's done or, or some way where there's still some type of you know, human relation character to it, I guess, I don't know. I hope it doesn't happen, though. Yeah, I you know I did read some pictures though that have kind of gone back and forth. Um, some thinking that it might give them back the high strike, which has kind of been lost um, with, with more modern day strike zones or whatever. But um, yeah, I it'll be something to keep an eye out for uh, as everything else changes so rapidly. All right, we'll wrap up our major league section there. We'll come back with a couple kind of miscellaneous topics to finish out. Welcome back to episode 13 and maybe next year, our uh, third and final section here, we're going to have a couple miscellaneous questions. The first one is about something that's been in the news here the last few days and, and will continue to be until there's been a decision. But um, the NFL collective bargaining agreement was released that was approved by the owners. And in it, there was two um, very big changes. Um, one is adding a 17th regular season game. And we'll talk about that. 
And then the other one is adding an extra playoff team to both uh, the AFL or the AFC and the NFC. Um, so you would have a total, you go from 12 teams to 14 teams that make the playoffs. Um, the 17 games, the NFL hasn't changed it. They, they went to 16 games back in 1978. They haven't changed uh, that since. Um, part of the plan would be uh, to reduce the preseason to three games and then add in an extra bye week. So there would be two bye weeks um, for every team. Uh, that would push the, the Super Bowl back, they think, uh, till the President's Day weekend, which would is pretty late. Um, but um, there's a lot of things that come up with them with the 17th game. You know, they, you go all of a sudden from having eight home games to eight away games during the regular season to nine of one and eight of the other. And so some of the ideas that were thrown out that I thought were pretty interesting is that that 17th week or whatever would then be a, a neutral site week for both teams. And you could have games at local college stadiums, other cities that maybe don't have a team but have uh, a workable uh, playing situation. Um, possibly having one international game each year for each team, whether it be, you know, in London or in Mexico or even getting different countries, uh, new countries involved. Uh, I saw Germany was on the list, Canada, places like that. Um, so those are some thoughts about that. But um, they're going to the owners have to give to get. And uh, some of the things in the bargaining agreement would be to have fewer training camp days, uh, fewer regular season practices. But most of the players that have really spoke up uh, adamantly against it are against it having a 17th game because it's one more game that, uh, you know, our chances for injuries, wear and tear on bodies and things like that. Um, you know, and they, they say, well, they're reducing the preseason to three games instead of four. Well, how many starters play, you know, full preseason games, period? You know, you get to that fourth preseason game and no one plays anyways. There aren't any starters that play. You know, in other games, they might play a series or a quarter or half or whatever. So I don't think that's necessarily a very good um, thing to give uh, in order to get that 17th game. But um, before I ask you about the playoff thing, what do you think uh, about the 17th game? You think it's good for football and, and will work for players? Um, I think uh, I think it's a good thing. Um, like Corey was saying, with like uh, games at different locations and neutral side thing, that'd be actually a really cool thing to see. Uh, I think that'd be... I mean, you get more exposure to the NFL. I mean, if you're in Canada, and obviously people are going to go to the games because NFL is very worldwide. Um, but I, I think it's good just because, uh, I mean, it's just it's more football for everyone. And then at the same time, like, uh, you, that, that, I mean, that like the end of the regular season there, I mean, it's always it's, it's always fun because you have those bubble teams and the other teams who are, I mean, just like uh, the seeding thing for the playoffs, you know. And I think adding that 17th game would just add to it, and it would add to the NFL just for the experience for the fans, and then I mean also the players as well. Yeah, and Richard Sherman, his you know he speaks out about it quite a bit, but he said it was interesting. He said this 17th game is is literally is just a step into to what the the owners ultimately want and have always wanted, which is an 18 game schedule. And whether that's true or not, I guess I don't know, but you know you guys played football. Does that one more regular season game could that really have that much more of a negative effect on, you know, the bodies of the players. Dave? Yeah, and that's what's kind of funny. They're trying to change rules and do things to protect protect players, and especially the head with all the concussions. And now they're going to add another a meaningful game. You know, like you mentioned, that they're taking away a preseason game, which none of the starters probably would have played in anyways. 
and now you're putting in a 17th week where you know it's another game for a team who's maybe on the fringe who's basically in their regular season but it could be their third basically do or die game so they're going all out so it's an interesting twist you're adding you're adding the risk to players and that's where you know the money's got to shake out and it'll be interesting to see how this all shakes you know fully shakes out i mean you're you're you're, you're gonna have to pay guys for an entire another game as opposed to a game where maybe they would have played three three snaps on a three and out and they're out for the night um it's got to be wear and tear in the body and, you know you're, you're looking at the season starting the same time and running longer you're going to have less time in the offseason for guys to recoup or go through their offseason search, cleanup surgeries, whatever it is, to get started. Um, for me, sitting at home on the couch eating nachos, it's a fantastic thing. <laughs> for, for the guys who are actually having to go through it, um, especially the tweener guys who, who maybe are trying to make their way through the XFL or some of these offshot leagues now, too, to try and say in the NFL, man, it's, it's, it's going to be 365 football. Now, wear and tear is, is going to take. I don't want to say years off your life, but very well could. All right, so the second part of that uh, agreement then would be to expand to 14 teams, and it would change, and um, that would be the first change they've made since 1990. Actually, they went to 12 teams and two buys in 1990. What would happen then is only the number one seed would get a buy um, as opposed to the first two. So there would be six wild card games on that first weekend, which, once again, if you're a fan sitting on the couch, that's that's awesome that you get to an extra game on Saturday, an extra game on Sunday to watch. But um, it does beg the question, though, about giving how much of an advantage to that number one, that overall number one seed. Um, I was looking at numbers about buys and, uh, you know, successes in the postseason. It's kind of shocking, actually. Um, no team that has played in a wild card weekend has even been to the Super Bowl since 2012. You know, so that buy is 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 something that obviously is insanely important. And then it, you add to the fact that you would be the only one to get the buy. Um, is that too much of an advantage? Uh, I think getting that. I mean, yeah, getting that buy is obviously a big thing, just because it's one less game for your players, and then you have basically two weeks to prepare for your first playoff game. You know, but I mean, I think if you if they do make this change and go to just one team getting the buy, I really do think that um, you'll see a lot more teams gunning for that number one spot just because you get that buy. I mean, like you see in the regular season right now, if you have a team that is um, like they know they're going to get a first round buy without one or two seed, um, you see them sitting players, you know. I mean, the, the Ravens didn't do it this year and look what happened to them, you know. But I think that number one seed will be a very big deal. And I think that. Uh, uh, you'll see teams really, uh, really gunning for that number one spot. Do you like that setup, Dave? Yeah, I think so. More in the sense that you know, especially you know, historically speaking, as a Vikings fan, it seems like we're <laughs> always kind of sitting in that that tweener: are we in? Are we out? Are we in? Are we out? So it gives an extra spot for your team to maybe make it. It's gonna, it's going to engage more fan bases later in the season um, because you might be might be looking at a, an eight and eight team maybe a 9-8 team now with a 17-game season, uh, basically a 500 team getting into the playoffs um, or, or a realistic shot. So you're you're going to engage well, well over half, to, you know, three-quarters of the league or still have a fighting chance coming down the last, you know, two, three weeks of the season. Yeah, it's kind of like, you know, we were talking about the, the 
MLB plan, and that was the MLB plan was much more extreme. Obviously, a lot more changes than than just adding one team. But you definitely see that uh, owners are thinking about uh, more ways to engage more fan bases and and you know make more money. I guess is in the end is the ultimate goal there. Um, but yeah, so I guess it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out. Uh, I know that there's the way that it was presented right now with the collective collective bargaining agreement probably isn't going to go through as it is written now. Uh, it was just the first stage of that. So um, what they, I don't know, uh, decide to to tweak there or, or, or what uh, will be interesting. So um, the other question that I'll ask then um, in this last segment, um, I, we didn't get a chance to cover it in the NBA section, but I wanted to get your guys' thoughts. Um, since I know you guys are both basketball NBA fans, your thoughts on uh, Zion's first few weeks. He's played, what's he played in now? 14 games, something like that. Um, and he's had some ups, some downs, a little bit of everything in between. Uh, he's played 11 games so far. He's averaging over 22 points and seven rebounds. Um, and I know his health is always something that people t- like to talk about when they talk about him and whether he can stay healthy and stuff like that. But um, after finally watching him, you know, it took so long to, to get to see him in an NBA game. But after watching him here now for 11 games, um, what are some of your first impressions of him and whether he, you think he has a, a long career ahead of him or not? Um, I'm not trying to be biased here, but I, I think Zion Williamson is he's the real deal. Uh, like Corey said earlier, I'm a huge Duke fan, and Zion Williamson going to Duke was, um, it was. I mean, uh, Zion Williamson all through like going through high school, all he talked about really was Zion Williamson, just because he was so much better than everyone that he played against. Obviously, he was so much bigger, he had that physical advantage. But then, um, a question surrounding him was, would that translate to the NBA? And ultimately, I think it really has. I mean, Zion Winston has shown that he's – I think he's proved to everyone that he's actually the real deal. You saw in that first game he had, like, 16 points in, like, three minutes or something like that. I can't remember exactly what it was, but um, he proved to people that he can shoot the jump shot. His jump shot isn't consistent. It wasn't really consistent at Duke either, but he, he's proven to people that he can shoot from the perimeter, which is a big thing around or surrounding him. Um, I'm, he's shown that he can do the little things. He rebounds very well. He plays defense, and obviously he's blocking shots like he did in college. So I think, yes, Iron Williamson will be the real deal. Uh, I think the thing with the Pelicans is they need to be patient with him. Um, obviously, uh, his health is a, a big thing just because he got hurt at Duke, and then he didn't play the first half of the season basically with the Pelicans. So, I mean, as much as I hate to say, load management for the Pelicans uh, this year especially, and then going into next year. Because I think next year you'll see the Pelicans – Competing, if not this year, competing for that for a playoff spot. Uh, they got the talent too. They're um, four games out of the eighth yeah, spot right now. Yeah, exactly. See, so I mean, you could even see them sneak into that eight seed um, later in this year. Uh, they have the talent too, and then with Zion and just all the hype behind Zion, I think that helps them personally. What about you, Dave? Well, like you say, I'm a I'm a big Duke fan. I've been a Duke fan since the Bobby early Christian Leitner days. Um, <laughs> so I watched a lot of Zion in college. Uh, my my brother-in-law lives in Cincinnati. He's a gigantic Knicks fan, so he was he's also a North Carolina fan, unfortunately. But uh, he was he was texting me back in December. We were talking back and forth, and he's looking already the draft because the Knicks are terrible. And he says, well, "What do you think? You know, I want Zion. I want Zion." And I tell you guys the same thing I told him. I said, "Let's let's pump the brakes a little bit, <laughs> uh, and let let's just see how things shake out." You know, they they've they've anointed this guy. To me, wrongfully so, that people were calling the next LeBron James. Zion Williamson and LeBron James have nothing in common except for size. You know, LeBron James is a is a 6'8", 240-pound point guard. 
Zion Williams is 6'8", 270, genetic freak, but a, but a totally different skill set. So even comparing to LeBron James, to me, is unfair to Zion. You know, he's 11 games in, uh, 22 and a half points a game. He's got seven boards a game, 2.3 assists. He's shooting 58% from the field, um, you know, 0.7 steals and 0.4 blocks. He's turned it over a little bit more than he maybe should, but he's a rookie. Um, of those seven rebounds, three of them are offensive. Um, to me, you know, anointing him a superstar is still early. He's obviously going to have to have a, a elongated career to be called that. He's got promise, but the thing with him is, you know, he, everybody saw the four three-pointers he made against San Antonio in the first game. And was like, oh, boy, he can, he can light it up. He hasn't made one since. <laughs> um, and if you watch the shots he took, you know, Greg Popovich clearly told his guys, let him shoot, because there were times where, where he got the ball in the wing and his guy went to rush out on him, saw it with Zion, and stopped 10 feet away from him, let him shoot it, and he made it. So, you know, if he can develop a jump shot, um, he, he's going to be a very, very good player. I don't know if I want to call him elite, but he's going to be a very good player. The other thing he's got really going for right now is he is playing on a really, really good young team. Brandon Ingram is probably going to win most improved player of the year. Drew Holiday is one of the most underrated players in the NBA year in and year out. Lonzo Ball is, is with the last month and a half, and maybe some of it due to Zion and his athleticism and the lob passes and some of the things he can do, is playing really well. And they got J.J. Redick, you know, basically opening up the floor, being able to shoot the lights out anywhere, so he's opening things up for him. So he's got a lot of things working in his direction. If you put him on the Knicks right now, I think you'd see a different story. Uh, he's only taken 12 shots outside of the paint the entire season. Eleven of those are three pointers, one jump shot, and that was you know off on the baseline about eight feet out. Um, he you know so he's shooting fifty eight percent, and mostly everything is coming from inside the paint. Um, How's he at the free throw line? Well, free throw line is shooting sixty three percent, and there you know the last five games. Um, let's see, he's made ten or more free throws in three of his last five games. So I mean that that's a big thing. He's getting to the line. Is he getting favoritism from the refs because he is Zion? Maybe a little bit, but he's a big body dude. So he gets inside, guys are going to ball, and they're going to make him prove it on the line rather than just give him a dunk. So free throws are going to be a, a big thing for him. So, but looking back at that 22 a game, you know, half of that is coming from the free throw line too. So, you know, he's, he's got some work to do. Is he going to be a good player in the right system? He absolutely is. He's never going to be a guy who is going to carry a team, I think, on his own, though. Um, so, but he's got to stay healthy. That's the biggest thing. You're that big. You're, you're jumping that high, and you're coming down and pounding on those joints as much as he's going to do. The knees have got to hold up. The calves have got to hold up. The ankles got to hold up. You know, and the thing with him, unlike Kevin Love, who dropped, what, 40, 45 pounds, whatever he lost. Kevin Love lost a lot of weight. Yeah. I don't know if Zion can afford to, he can afford to do that because his thing is he bullies people inside. That's, that's what makes him that good. He bullies people. He gets above them. And he dunks it. Um, so to me, the jury's still out. You know, to me, if he can develop a jump shot, his his ceiling, I don't want to say his ceiling, but he's basically Blake Griffin. To me, I, I don't see that he gets really higher than Blake Griffin. Um, Blake Griffin has a lot of the same skill sets. He did develop a little bit of a jump shot, knock down a three-pointer here and there. Uh, but now you're starting to see injuries and stuff take a toll on his career too. So there's nothing wrong with Blake Griffin. He was a great player. I just think that we need to pump the brakes on him being the next elite, elite NBA basketball player. 
Yeah, I yeah, I guess I have. I haven't watched him as much as you guys have, so um, I just know I feel like having a Miguel Snow kind of conversation all the time about his health and whether he's too big for his body and and what he does or whatever. But um, yeah, I definitely think he's in a good position though in in, in New Orleans. If he, uh, you know, whereas if you look at the Timberwolves situation, uh, I don't think he'd be in in quite as good of a, a spot to, to to develop and grow like he needs to. So. All right, we'll wrap that up. We'll come on back and finish with our bold predictions. Welcome back uh, to maybe next year. We're going to finish with our, our bold predictions for the week. Um, Dave just reminded me that his bold prediction for last week was spot on, and he had the Wild winning uh, two games against who do they play? Edmonton? And, Edmonton and Vancouver. Edmonton and Vancouver. So they had a nice trip through Canada there. Um, this week, uh, what do you got for us, Dave? Oh, my bold prediction this week is that Kirk Cousins' contract will be renegotiated this week um, to extend him out. I'm not sure if I agree with that, but salary cap wise, they got to do something. So I think this week, I know it's been talked about a little bit, it's going to get done. Free agency starts in two weeks. They got to get it figured out so they can start forming a game plan of what the heck they're going to do. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I something does have to be done with his contract just because of the size of it, and because they're going to be really, really strapped for cash um, if they're going to make a, any any significant changes or upgrades. There, you know, I think their defense is going to look really different um, in, in week one than what we've seen, you know, over the last few years from them. Um, all right, my my bold prediction is, is also Vikings one, even though we haven't talked about them for a while. Um, and, and if you follow the news or, or any of the drama surrounding Stefan Diggs, there always feels like there's a little bit of drama surrounding him. Um, he's the typical star wide receiver in the NFL. Um, my prediction is that he's when camp opens uh, in August, camp opens in yeah, August, August. Uh, that Stefan Diggs will not be a Minnesota Viking. Uh, I could definitely see it just because – I mean, last season you always – I mean, he literally said in an interview that he wasn't happy in Minnesota and stuff. And um, I wouldn't be surprised to see Minnesota dealing for someone they can get in the draft, you know, someone that they need. Uh, I think Stephon Duggs, he brings a lot to your team, but at the same time um, I feel like he's kind of a replaceable guy just because he's a receiver. I mean, there's a lot of receivers. Granted, he has a lot of talent, but at the same time uh, you can see someone step in and do the same thing. I actually read a prediction with that – the Vikings would trade Stephon Diggs to whatever team. I can't remember what team it was and draft his brother. Oh, I did see that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> his so, brother's a cornerback. Isn't cornerback he? Yeah. He played Alabama. <laughs> That'd be an interesting move. All right. Just, you got a, you got a bold prediction, Shay. I know yours is. Uh, mine's not Minnesota related, but I'm a big basketball guy, like Corey said, and uh, I do not like Kansas Jayhawks. So my bold prediction is they will get the one seed because Gonzaga and San Diego State both lost. Uh, they will be beat by Oklahoma State, and Oklahoma State's not a good team, but they will go into Allen Fieldhouse and knock out Kansas. That was, I actually watched that Baylor game. That was a good that was game. That was a good game, yeah, it was. Azubuki, he's the real deal. Still don't like Kansas. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, that's uh, that's our that's what we got for the week there. Um, thanks, uh, Dave and Schaefer, for joining me. Um, uh, be sure to check us out. We uh, our Check us out on Twitter and Facebook and, uh, you know, listen on Spotify, Apple or podcast uh, or Apple podcast, Anchor or Spotify. Um, and check out our new website, uh, nextyearpodcast.com. 
Um, thanks again. And we're planning on our next show uh, at this point being next Sunday night and probably have some uh, more twins related news and notes as, as spring training plays out. But uh, thanks for joining us and uh, we'll see you next time. Thank you.